see this evening, Psalm 114. Just two words will help you remember what this psalm is about. It's simply about rescue remembered. About remembering God's great rescuing grace. Now, I said a little bit about songs earlier on, but to say just a little bit more by way of saying to you, I'm sure you would agree that songs are very stirring, aren't they? Something about singing. You're not convinced of that? Have a little search on YouTube for uh, Alan Wynne-Jones standing as the Welsh captain singing the Welsh National Anthem. If you don't think songs are stirring, well, take a look at that big hunk of a man uh, belting it out and tears in his eyes and pumped up for action. Not sure any of the details of the Welsh National Anthem uh, or many other National Anthems apart from our own which seems a little bit limp compared to other great anthem songs. Uh, But some of them, and the very best ones, uh, seem to look back to great and mighty victory that had been given in times of battle in days past and victorious soldiers. And as people sing them, they're stirred up for action. And if you don't find seeing the Psalms stirring, well, you need to take a little bit of a rain check. There's something wrong for you. They are mighty stirrings songs. Yes, primarily, they are songs to sing in praise to God. But we should find, like Alan Wynne-Jones, there's a, a pumping up going on in our lives as we sing them and think about them. We should find that we are invigorated and ready for action. And Psalm 114 was a song like that. God's people sang it in the Old Testament days at every Passover. This was one of the little collection of songs that they sang to remember what God had done for them. The great (coughs) rescue that he'd achieved for them in his wonderful grace. I don't think any of them sang it dolefully. I think some of them sang it and were stirred in their heart of hearts. And as they sang it, they were equipped for future challenges. It's a song about the history of God rescuing them. God's rescuing them out of the land of Egypt. And we know from the Bible that God rescuing his people from the land of Egypt was a pointer to the greater rescue mission of God through the work of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said of Psalm 114, we use this psalm to give thanks for Christ who has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness. And if that doesn't stir you, I'm not sure what will. But if you need a little help to be stirred in singing this song and thinking about it, remember Jesus Christ. And remember him singing this song. Remember him singing about the Exodus, looking back to the great deliverance that his God and Father had wrought for his people. Knowing when he sang it that in a few hours, He was going out to his exodus, his death on the cross, the 
that would lead us out of darkness and bondage. So there are truths here to thank God for, and to be strengthened by in our lives. So what a suitable psalm for us to come to this evening, remembering God's rescuing. And we want to notice three matters here in this psalm that God's people originally would have been thinking about when they sang this stirring song. We want to think about three matters that Jesus Christ was thinking about when he sang this song. And we want to think about three matters that we're to think about as we ponder what Jesus Christ has done for us. First of all, in this psalm, we're reminded about being rescued to be his. Rescued to be his. Who, who am I? Sometimes Christians have trouble with their identity. Well, we don't need to. We just need to read our Bibles. We need to sing the songs and you'll get who you are. Well, here is this wonderful statement of our identity. Rescued to be his. This is a psalm. It's a song and it's also poetry. Not sure if you're into poetry, but poetry is a wonderful medium, a wonderful way of communicating great truths in a short space of a few words. That's what poetry is about. And verses 1 and 2, the writer here is summarizing a great host of material, uh, material that would take chapters in the Bible to record. And the psalmist here, directed by God's Holy Spirit, summarizes God's great delivering grace towards his people. When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. That's a summary of the rescuing of God's people out of the land of Egypt. Just two lines. And it summarizes chapter upon chapter of the Bible in the book of Exodus and, and uh, other books around there. Just a few lines, or two verses rather, summarize it all. And there are two dimensions here about the rescuing mercy of God for his people then and God's rescuing of us in Jesus Christ. So as we think of rescued to be his, we, we want to think of two things here. First of all, there was rescue from slavery. When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language. And you remember what Egypt was like? I don't know whether you've been there on holidays. I imagine it's a, a nice place to go on holidays, but it was no holiday for the people of Israel. Just a few words out of Exodus here will help you get a, a picture again of what life was like in Exodus 1.11 Egypt was described as a place of heavy burdens. Or in Exodus 1.13, their life was just simply described in three words, work as slaves. You remember how there they were subjected to the wicked ways of the Pharaoh, designed to, to slaughter all of the, the little boys. In Exodus 3 and 7, their lives there were described as lives of affliction and suffering. That's what Egypt was like. There was no freedom. There, was, there were 
no rights for any of them. There was no hope for them, humanly speaking, and there was no future for them. But God tells us, his word tells us, that God stooped down and sent them a deliverer. He gave them Moses. They hadn't earned that. It wasn't that God looked down and said, well, there's a fairly nice bunch of people. I'll rescue them from slavery. No, Moses would write in Deuteronomy 4.37 that their rescue was because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring. It was all of God's free, unmerited love. And you've got to picture the original singers of this song and they're sitting at Passover and they're, they're singing these words and they're eating the flesh of a lamb that's been cooked. Speak more of this, God willing, on Sabbath morning. And as they ate of this little lamb, they remembered God's plan and how they'd been rescued. Rescued and redeemed because of the blood of that lamb. Rescued from slavery. And that's true of every follower of Jesus Christ. Whether we were rescued as little children, can't remember the time or the date now, in his loving mercy he redeemed us, or whether we are rescued later in life and we can remember the time exactly. You remember how Paul puts it in Ephesians 2, speaking to the Ephesian Christians, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. We were in chains, we were in slavery, to the power of sin and to the guilt of it. And there was nothing in you or me that drew his deserved rescuing grace. They were rescued from slavery. But also in this first point, they were rescued to service. In verse 2 we're told, Judah became a sanctuary, Israel, his dominion. Now I've often told you that when you read the book of Psalms, and indeed when you read any Hebrew poetry, that if there's a two-line verse, the second line of the verse is often simply reinforcing and expanding what has been stated in the first line. It'll help you read Psalms and other things like it. But here in verse 2, while that is the case, it's not just repetition. And it's not simply mere emphasis. There are truths here in both these statements. Judah became a sanctuary. Israel, his dominion. Think with the latter one uh, first. The second one first. Israel, his dominion. What is a dominion? A dominion is somewhere where a kingdom that is ruled over by a king. And when the Lord brought his people out of the land of Egypt, he didn't bring them out that they would just simply be scattered everywhere and just run off in their lives and do whatever they wanted to do. He brought them out to be his dominion, to be his kingdom, where he ruled over them as his king, as their king. And at Sinai which is actually pictured in this psalm in verse 4. I'll speak of it a little later in a moment or two. He's speaking there, the mountains skip like rams, the hills like lambs. That's what happened at Sinai. There were the earthquakes and the tremors at Sinai. It seemed as if the, 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 the land was skipping about. And at Sinai, 
that relationship that God had established with his people became a formal relationship. You remember how when they came out and came up and were at Mount Sinai and Moses would come back down and he read the law to the people of God. And after they'd heard the reading of the law, they responded in Exodus 24, 3, all that the Lord says, we will do. That was their vow, if you like, of membership of the visible church in their day. God had made them into a, a, a body of people and he had promised to be their God and he said, here's the life in my kingdom. And they said, we promise to be your servants. And isn't that what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for every Christian? He has delivered us not only out of Egypt, out of bondage, but he has brought us into his kingdom to rule over us to subdue all his and our enemies. And he hasn't just sent us out just to roam on home to, home to heaven, just as he did formerly with the people in the Old Testament. So he gathered them into a, a unified, visible body, the church. And they formally belong to that with their vow of membership. That's why next Lord's Day, <coughs> we will, again, we will, Remember the vows that we have, we have taken and it's as if we're saying to God, all that you say, Lord, we will do. And thanksgiving for Jesus Christ, rescued to be his, they were his, Israel was his dominion. And also then we're told there in verse two that Judah became his sanctuary. Judah, you remember, is that little uh, portion of land that was around Jerusalem. And when it says that Judah here was his, is his sanctuary, the, the psalmist is causing us to focus in and to zoom in, in and around Jerusalem where God dwelt in the midst of his people. And they were being reminded that God was with them. They were his sanctuary. Do you remember that about the church? Not something to be treated just so lightly. It's the sanctuary of God, not the building, but the gathered, visible people of God, where he dwells in our midst, rescued to be his. That's who you are, Christian. You're someone going out into the world tomorrow, rescued by God to be his and to serve him where you go. Secondly, then, in this psalm, we're, we're, they were remembering that they were rescued by his mighty power. They were rescued by his mighty power. And we're now getting into the, the, the main thrust of this song that so, was so stirring for them. Do you remember a number of years back, uh, the Chilean the miners, 33 of them? You remember them trapped deep underground and we... Watch, I, I can't remember now just how many days it was an inordinate number of days they were in, just wasn't one or two or even a, a week or two, it was quite a long time. And but do you remember the effort that was energy that was put in to their rescue? Apparently, it cost 20 million dollars. Think of all that rock that had to be excavated in that in those rescue tubes that were put down through the earth. Think of all the engineering that, that had to be involved in this and, and getting a means of, of carrying these men up from the depths up to safety. Think of all the 
Think of all the technology of, of communicating with them and making sure that there was uh, uh, air for them to breathe so far down beneath the earth's surface. What mighty, awesome power to carry out that rescue mission. And when the people of God were singing this song year after year at Passover, the thing that they were, that they were pondering most of all was what mighty power it had taken to deliver them out of the land of Egypt. And it's stated there in verses 3 and 4 what was actually involved in them being rescued out of the land of Egypt and brought into the promised land. We'll look at it line by line for a moment. The sea looked and fled. That's a reference to the, the, the opening up of the Red Sea and God's people going through on dry land in Exodus uh, chapter 14. Oh, what mighty power. You tried that recently? Trying to divide the sea or the bathwater? Don't imagine you got very far. But uh, God just gave Moses that miraculous power and, and, the, and the sea was parted. And then in verse 3, the second line of it, Jordan turned back. Psalm was now going on 40 years later and, he, and they were singing, remember what he did? We were standing at the mighty flowing Jordan and Joshua, uh, by God through Joshua, just opened up a way and the water piled up upriver and there was this dry land. Oh, what mighty power. And in verse 4, the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. It's poetry. You don't see it happening literally, but it's poetry that there was this great upheaval. And that's a reference to what happened in Sinai in Exodus chapter 19. When God was rescuing his people, there was this demonstration of his great and mighty and his awesome power. And verse 5 and 6 are wonderful, aren't they? It's almost funny. Uh, he's carrying out an interrogation. And uh, he's saying, first of all, verse 5, What ails you, O sea, that you flee? You imagine picture standing talking and say, oh what's happened to you see you just parted and uh, over a million people can, can pass I wonder what's happened to you oh Jordan oh what's happened to you Jordan you stopped flowing oh mountains oh what's going on you're you're moving about it's like lambs or rams skipping about and he's emphasizing this point what made you do all this well, the answer comes in verse 7. It's the presence of the Lord, the presence of the God of Jacob. That's what did it all, the mighty, powerful presence of God. Now think of the exiles who were back in the promised land. That's where this psalm is found in our Psalter. It's book 5 in the Psalms. It's that part of the Psalms collated most likely after the exile and they've gone back to the promised land and they are dejected they feel without hope there aren't very many of them they have so little resources to, to rebuild their homes and the, and the temple and all the rest they have 
no human king anymore. And every Passover, they're singing this song. And they're reminded, and reminding themselves as they thank God that they're not on their own, but that this same mighty, powerful God is with them and will go before them. So they were thinking about God's mighty, powerful deliverance. And we are to do exactly the same with the wonderful rescue that is ours in Jesus Christ. We're to think of God's wonderful rescuing grace in us. And the marvel of it. It's very easy for the familiarity of the rescuing mission of Jesus Christ just to make us quite dull. Oh, we know it all. Do we? I think not. But we mustn't let that familiarity rob us of pondering the wonder and the might of God. Let me help you. What wonder, what mighty power that the God of the universe, the God who spoke this world into being, is conceived in the womb of a young teenage girl, the creator of the ends of the earth, confined to a woman's womb. What marvel! The creator of the earth, sitting on his mother's knee, needing the very basic things of life done for him. The creator of the earth, crawling across the floor. That's the wonder of, of the work of salvation that God stooped down. The Son of God having taken our flesh and growing into a, a, a young man and he, and he keeps God's law perfectly, never faltering. The Son of God having taken flesh, yet still God and the sins of an enormous multitude of people are laid upon him. And he's accused in his trial, you remember, of two things that he is silent about. Do you remember what he was accused of? He was accused of blasphemy and he was accused of treason. And when those two accusations were put to him, you remember how he responded? Utter silence. He said not a word in response, for he was willing to have those accusations laid on him and him to be considered guilty of them. Because those accusations were my sins and yours. Treason. To shake our little fists at God. Blasphemy. To live our lives as if we were God. And he so willingly had those sins laid upon him. And he went and he laid down his life. And he endured the holy wrath of God burning out in him because of our sin. And he's laid in the tomb. And he's dead. And on the third day he, he is raised mightily from the dead in the awesome power of God. 
And at the Father's right hand, the Father and the Son send out his Spirit into the hearts and lives of men and women and boys and girls like you and me. And we came to life. So at this gospel of Jesus Christ, we realized, was the one thing we needed. What awesome power, Christian, for your rescue and for mine. Is there something you're struggling with in your life? Is there some great difficulty or challenge ahead for you? Maybe you don't even know yet. And you wonder, well, how will I ever have strength? Well, this same God, the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, who has worked with such mighty power, will be sufficient for you. Oh, what comfort it was to those returned exiles to sing about this truth of the might and the power of God. And what comfort for Jesus Christ when he sang these words and thought of the, of the fleeing uh, Red Sea and the backing up River Jordan and it was the might and the power of his God and his Father and he would have strengthened his human nature to finish the job. Rescued by his mighty power. Thirdly in this psalm, we're reminded that we're rescued completely. You see, the rescue of the Israelites brought them into a perilous predicament, into a difficult situation. They were out of Egypt just one night and the whole nation is delivered from Egypt but they're not yet in the promised land did God just bring them out of Egypt and did he say to them well that's it chaps promised land's that way keep going hope you make it oh remember how he dealt with them he dealt with them in such tenderness you remember the very first thing he did for his redeemed people the first thing that he did for them was not to allow them to go on route one Route one for them would be to go straight up through the area of the Philistines and the Lord knew it would be too difficult for them. He's the same, you know, in your life. There are paths that he does not take you on because he knows it would be too difficult for you. And he spurred you from things that you, you don't even realize. He decided he would take them by route two. It, it wasn't an easy way. Because they would have the challenge of the Red Sea in front of them. And that challenge would become even greater when they hear the pounding of the, of the, the hooves of the horses and the whirl of the, the, the wheels of the Egyptian chariots. But God had planned it for good. They would be delivered. They would see the might and power of God exercised. They would, see, they would be delivered from a great enemy and be given lessons to equip them for their future. You remember that about your way? when it's route two in your life, that even that challenging way, God is putting things in place to, to get you to the end, things that you're learning as you go. Now God wouldn't be, wouldn't be stopped in his plan for this people. You remember the plan? God had told it to Abraham, I'll be your God, the God of your descendants after you. And he promised them a land. And nothing would stop God fulfilling his plan. Even their waywardness, you remember, wouldn't extinguish the plan of God. 
And even when they come to the river Jordan, that'll not stop the way of God. Even though it's in the springtime, wasn't it? And the, and the Jordan was raging with the, with, the, with, the, with the storms in the mountains. But that wouldn't stop God fulfilling his plan. And the Jordan would be turned back. And, an e and even those difficulties that they had on their journey of 40 years because of their waywardness. What more basic problem could they have had on that journey? They had no water. They're going to die. You'll die, is it, what, is it three days? Without water? Well, if you're in the wilderness, you're not even going to last three days. But look at what they sing about in verse 8. Who turns the rock into a pool, uh, into a pool of water. That's a reference to Exodus 17. That's a reference to God's provision of this very basic need of life at the beginning of their journey. And when it says in, at the end of verse 8, the flint into a spring of water, that's the reference to the other water-giving miraculous work of God in Numbers chapter 20 at the end of their 40 years of wandering. You see, nothing would stop God delivering on his promise. Not the need for the basic needs of life, not the sudden events of the raging spring Jordan. Nothing would stop God delivering. And can you see why this must have stirred the exiles? They're singing these truths and they're saying to one another as they sang them, our God couldn't be stopped. He opened the Red Sea. He opened the Jordan. The mountains quaked. The hills jumped around. He gave us water out of the dry, barren rock. Nothing will stop him now, helping us do all that he has called us to do. Can you imagine the comfort for Jesus Christ singing these words the night before he dies? Nothing will stop my God and Father delivering his covenant plan for his people. Not Herod, not Pilate, not Judas, not the fleeing, faint-hearted disciples. Nothing will stop God. Are you convinced of that? Are you convinced of that, Christian, that nothing will stop God completing the job that he has started in your life? Nothing. It is impossible for you having been truly saved. If that's your situation tonight, it is utterly impossible for you not to finish the journey because God would lose out more than you would lose out. You would lose your salvation, yes, but God would use the, his very, lose his very name and character, which is impossible. This psalm fills the Christian with great delight. Whatever the journey might have for me, with his grace and his strength, I'm making it to the very end because that's how God works. Well, someone says, you don't know about the circumstances of my life. They are so difficult. 
I have this temptation, I have this struggle. Well, look at your God here. His people needed water. And all around about him, all that there is is sand and desert and barren, dry rock. And God provided everything his people needed. You come this evening and you're overwhelmed with some great need. I need this to finish my journey. Well, here is this great God who who provides for his people all that he knows that they need. So the people of God, as they sang this song, were to be stirred. They were not to be filled with despair. Their God was ruling over all. Notice as we close the response of creation in verse 7. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. Well, what else could creation do? What else could creation do but tremble before its king? He made everything. He made the sea, the Red Sea, and the River Jordan, and the mountain and the hills. And this great king is exercising his might for the deliverance of his people. And what else could his creation do but tremble at his presence and acknowledge his greatness? And didn't creation do exactly the same thing? When this same king was working out and exercising his might and power in providing rescue for us out of our land of bondage to make us his servants. You remember at his death on the cross, creation again trembling, the, the sky darkened in the midst of the, of the sunshine of midday, suddenly darkened, creation trembling. We're told in the, in, in the Gospels that the, that the earth shook and the rocks split. It was creation trembling at the great mighty deliverance that God was bringing to pass in his son, Jesus Christ. And the question for all of us, whatever our situation tonight is, have we fallen and trembled at the feet of Jesus Christ? You've fallen before this king and said to him, all that you say, O king of all the earth is true. I am a sinner in need of your rescue. Have you said that to him? Have you said to him, I have heard, mighty king, that you give your life for sinners like me, and I fall at your feet, and I seek your pardon and your forgiveness, and new life in you, and I trust you. Is that your, is that your testimony? It's the testimony of every true Christian. And if even if someone would say, oh, well, maybe he wouldn't have me. Well, look at the wonderful title that God gave to himself here so that no one would ever think I am beyond his saving. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, the deceiver whom he saved in his mighty power. Tremble, O earth, or whatever your name might be, at the shaking 
of the great mighty grace of God. Amen. Let's sing this song. Rejoicing. Letting it stir us in thankfulness to God and ready to serve him in his world. Thanking him for all his might and power and all his wonderful provision and asking him to finish what he has started. Let's present to God. rejoicing 
that we've been found amongst the people of God. We pray, Heavenly Father, rejoicing too that there will come a day when you will shake not only the earth but the heavens also. And we pray that by your grace we'll be ready for that day. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of God, the Holy Spirit, be with you all. Amen.